going on everyone welcome back to another episode of first pitch 305 i'm your host alex aguirre and joining me for episode two and continuing this journey with me first pitch 305 is beat writer for fist stripes i love their content i've been reading and following them for a long time now so it's great to finally have somebody on the show and get some more personal information about the team and their perspective as well welcome let's welcome isaac azut to first pitch 305 isaac how you doing Doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for the kind words. And I'm really looking forward to talking baseball with you. It's been great getting to know you down in the press box as well. Yeah, I know. It's great to have some people on that side of the press box. I was telling you earlier. And yeah, it's my first year uh, with credentials covering a big team of professional teams. So it's great to have people helping you along the way and giving you, you know, tips and like just um, lending a helping hand. So it's great to have you, you know, on the show and talk some baseball with me. And, you know, the last time, the first episode of First Pitch 305, we kind of talked about the offseason, the moves they made, and kind of the, the dollars that the Marlins dished out yeah. in, in the offseason. Just really quick here before we dive into what I want to talk about with you, I want to get your take real quick on the Marlins offseason. If you have a letter grade for it or the money they spend, where they should have spent it somewhere else, if they should have, I want to get like uh, your perspective on the Marlins offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think if you want to put a grade on it, you could, I think a B- minus is probably a fair... A fair grade. I think they really did dish out the money, whether it was you know to the right places. Right. Great to be determined. I think the Avisail Garcia signing was a little bit expensive for what it was. Obviously, he's gone mm-hmm. off to a little bit of a slow start, heating up as of late. But I think the mm-hmm. Sandy one, the most team-friendly deal that they have right now, definitely. Uh, obviously, it's time-sensitive since how well he pitched yesterday. Yeah. But that was a great extension. And then some of the trades they made, obviously, getting their starting catcher for just you know a couple of mid-level prospects and Connor Scott. And Kyle Nicholas, that was a good trade. So I think with the free agency combination of free agency and trades, obviously the Joey Wendell one was phenomenal. I think right. you just give it a solid B, B minus grade, and a passing grade for sure. Passing grade for sure. I will say that B, B minus. I was kind, of, I'm kind of in that level as well. Joey Wendell, I think, flew under the radar for a lot of people because, especially with Soler and the, Gar- and the Garcia signings, a lot of money was dished out there for Marlins for Marlins fan standards, I guess. But the, I love the Wendell signing. I know. I think he's still on the shelf. Uh, on the yeah. IL, so but He'll yeah, be he... back soon. Actually, he is going to go to Jupiter and start his rehab assignment. So I would nice. give it maybe Friday, right in time for the Friday series in Atlanta. Perfect. Yeah, because they're definitely going to need him in Atlanta. It's always a thorn on the side of the Marlins, the Braves. But yeah, I love the Wendell move. It was it yeah. provided so much depth for that team, especially for like some aging players like Rojas. He's getting up there as well. Some more days off will be needed for yeah. him. So you can slot Wendell at short, third, second. He's a jack of all trades type of player. You you need players like that in today's MLB. Stallings' move was very, I think, important because catching was, especially on the defensive side, was extremely needed on this yeah. team. Stallings was a Gold Glove winner the year before. He had he had some blunders, I guess, to start off the season. Kind of you know not characteristic of him to be catching like that. But I know like down the line, he's what you want behind the play, especially for a young pitching staff like what the Marlins have. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Just the the way the pitchers speak about him and throwing to yeah. him, you see his catcher's ERA with him and with Sandy and Pablo is just phenomenal. All both sub two ERAs for him, and just just being able to have someone that you know won't strike out five times a game or the way they've had guys in previous years. So yeah. I think it was a, a massive upgrade for the Marlins behind the plate for sure. 
behind the plate is a huge upgrade, and he does provide something with the bat. You know, he does like, a little more contact, a yeah. little more stability in the bottom of the lineup because like, in years past, probably the first four or five hitters, and then once you get past that, then it's kind of a cakewalk for opposing pitchers. So he does bring a little more stability, more depth to that, to that lineup in the bottom portion of it. So I'm glad that we got that out of the way. I'm glad that we're on the same page with how the Marlins, you know, conducted their offseason. Um, kind of redundant with the outfield, you know, so Garcia and Soler, but we'll get to that later in, in the episode of what we think about their performance so far. But we're 40 games in to the 2022 season. The Marlins are 18 and 22. They're fourth in the division. And Isaac, um, 40 games in, you gave the offseason a B, B minus. Now we're 40 games in. I know it's still not a humongous sample size, but what can you talk to me about this, about the Marlins so far? Are they playing up to your like your standards or what you expected 40 games in? 18 and 22, they're up just about where I had them pegged at this point in the season. Maybe right. one or two games better. In 2021, 40 games in, they were 17 and 23. So, you know, one game improved from last year's mark at the same exact game threshold. But I think you got to be okay with it because both ways, there's been games where they should have yeah. lost and they won. And there's been games that they should have won and they lost. So I think all in all, it's it's been an okay start to the season. What I'm, I think the little disappointing part was that they had a real nice stretch of games against sub-500 teams and actually really bad teams like the Diamondbacks and the Nationals. You would have liked to see them win more of those ball games, especially against San Diego as well. They're not at full strength. There were a lot of there were a good stretch of games that they should have won more, in my opinion. Now they're going to have a really tough stretch, two in St. Pete, Atlanta weekend series coming up. they got to go to Denver, which is never easy. Nope. So it's going to be really tough, but I – I think the team is going to be only getting better from here on out. I think they'll, I think they'll be just fine. You do see the improvement on some players. You do see the progression on others and bats starting to get a little bit more yeah. hot. We're going to get to the offense in a bit, but I want to talk, dive into what I think is the most glaring hole or I guess deficiency of this team right now, 40 games in, and it's the bullpen. You know, like you mentioned a little bit earlier, a lot of games could have gone either way. And I felt like I'm not going to point all fingers to the bullpen because there's some, you know, but I feel like it's been a just, it's been a recurring theme, an unfortunate theme for this team. And let's, so let's talk about this bullpen here. The Marlins, since the last episode um, I recorded on May 10th, the Marlins are five and five and they've had, and three of those losses are by one run. And I feel like in that stretch, Anthony Bender has been used in different ways. In, as a closer setup, we saw Mattingly use him um, recently in the middle of the game, fifth or sixth inning, I believe. So, yeah. so um, Isaac, what's this going to the season? There was no Dylan Floro, so all eyes were on Bender as the closer. What's what's going on? What what seems to be the issue here with Bender? Right. Well, I think it was a little. That's part of the reason why it was a B minus, maybe because I think it was a little risky to go into the major league season with just Anthony Bender. You know, he did what come off to a great start last season. You know, in his mm -hmm. major league career. But, you know, from August 13th to the season's end, he was very, you know, mediocre, 403, 405 ERA, I'm sorry, giving up a 400 slugging percentage to his opponents. So I think it was a little risky going into the major league season with him at closer. And obviously, he's been really the one guy who has struggled mightily. Yeah. But other than that, the rest of the bullpen has actually been pretty great. Unfortunately, what, you know, really defines a bullpen is the late innings. And the late innings have what really Miami has been struggling. Even the guys that they put in there, O'Kurt had an opportunity, Salsa had an opportunity. And no one has really been able to solidify that ninth inning role yet. I think Anthony Bass is probably the next guy up, and right. we'll see how he does. But I, I wouldn't even want to move him from from where he's at in the eighth and seventh inning because he's been spectacular so far, Anthony Bass. So we'll see. But I, I think they made a mistake in not getting a closer in the offseason. They don't, and I agree with you 100% on the fact of you don't want to be moving guys constantly. 
Right. Like let their guy, let the bullpen guys find their role and then develop and get a habit of entering the seventh, entering the eighth. So, you know, down the season, I mean, hopefully the Marlins are in these meaningful games down the, down the season. They, they know how to execute and get the job done. Now I want to get to a little bit more of that off season um, of not really t- paying attention or addressing the bullpen. They did towards the end of the off season, I think in spring training as well, they made that trade with Baltimore you yeah. know, they got uh, Tanner Scott and Cole Solcer, two relievers. Cole Solcer d- d- is coming with experience as a closer in Baltimore. Not a huge sample size. I think it was like around 12, sa- 12 saves in Baltimore, yeah. something like that. So, um, Madeline, I think, has used him as a, or tried to use him as a closer. I feel like Madeline's just shuffling the deck here. You know, tried Scott at one point in the ninth inning. And I think Scott does have the stuff to be a closer with his velocity and his just overall stuff. But I think now's not the time. And Floro right. started the season off with an injury. So, and he's back now, but he's still shaking off that rust. This is kind of like his spring training, like, through you know, baptism through fire in, in a way. So, and I do, I do want Anthony Bass to see, I want to see him as the closer kind of to redeem him from last season. We yeah. feel like a lot of Marlins fans, he was an important piece in the, in the previous offseason to bolster that bullpen. It was a two-year deal as well. We don't really see a lot of two-year deals with the Marlins in, in bullpen pieces. And But I'm kind of with you right now. I'm kind of 50-50. I, don't, I, I would like to see him. He's the next man up, I think, to be the closer. But he's been great, a sub-two ERA as, you know, as kind of like the seventh, eighth inning guy. And Manley has had the confidence in him to use him in multi, for multiple innings or, or in four outs or five outs. So, like, we've seen Manley gain that trust with them. But, um, Isaac, I want to see, like, who, like, other than Bass, who do you think will be the next man up for this bullpen? You know, this just seems like foreign territory for Don Mattingly because, you know, in his whole life, there really hasn't been, in his whole Marlins tenure anyway, there really hasn't right. been a closer. So they, he sort of always says, oh, no, we're going to just do matchups. But he always likes to have that, have that one guy. He, he's a guy who likes to have that one person to go to. And this is just, you know, we're doing closer by committee at this point. So, to me, there's no one. I think you got to dip into the minor leagues at some point and see what those guys can do. You got, if you haven't had a chance to look at Pensacola's bullpen, they have four or five guys out there that are just pitching phenomenally. Even in AAA Jacksonville, he, there's some names out there that could probably help. But mm-hmm. to answer your question of, for the closer's job, yeah, I don't think Bender is the guy right mm-hmm. now anyway. I think he has a lot of potential as a mid, uh, high leverage reliever for sure. But I just don't know if he can do the ninth inning, whether it's a tie game at home or he's just a close a game out on the road. I think you got to give another opportunity to Solskjaer. Like you mentioned, he has, you know, history closing yeah. at eight saves in 2021. He has oh, a save this year. I don't really remember when that was, but apparently he does have a save this year. Okay. So I think he's the guy, you, either him or Bass. Like you said, Bass has history closing, experience closing, and so does Solskjaer. So I think I'm going to give it to one of those two guys. Unless it's a lefty heavy part of the lineup. Richard Blyer is coming back soon. Tanner mm-hmm. Scott, like you mentioned, has elite stuff. Just can't really harness it yet. Right, the control is yeah, an issue there. But I think we're just going to see a little bit more of um, closer by committee in the next couple of weeks anyway. So closer by committee is something that I really don't hear often. As in, I love baseball. I watch a lot of it. But closer by committee, I feel like when you think about dominant teams or contending teams consistently in the last probably decade, yeah. they, they've had a closer. They've yeah. had a, the, a guy. They had a guy. So, Isaac, can you win that way? Or at least have a good season. Let's just say – I'm not saying an, an amazing season, like 20 games over. Can you, can you at least hover – Five five hundred around there? Can you you know? I feel like it's that's challenging in my opinion. Well, yeah, with the starting pitching that you have, that this team does have, maybe you could float around five hundred. But you hit it right on the nose, man. I, the really elite, relevant teams, they have a guy. 
you know, the Dodgers have a guy and the Yankees, they have a guy, even though he's not doing so well, but right. they all, they all have guys. So I, I think Miami does, I think if Miami is still relevant in mid July, they're going to be, they're going to be buyers for that closer spot because they really did make a mistake in not addressing that in the off season because there was a million guys available and they Jansen. let them go to division. Jansen was there. Melanson was there. There's was, not only did they let them go, they let them go to division rivals. They let them go to rebuilding teams. They could have outbid those guys, but Alas, they were really, really focused on the offense, which, you know, rightfully so. But I think they could have been simultaneous about it and go for more than one, two, more than just one position at a time. And I love the way you, you mentioned that as the Marlins were always, people always think when you're bidding for a free agent, you know, you're, you're, especially from the Marlins side. Oh, no, you're competing against all these high you know, market teams, all these you know, teams that like to dish out a lot of money. But you, I think you made a very good point that the Marlins were also could have been, were, could have competed against these rebuilding teams. Yeah. For not just relievers, but maybe other pieces in general. Yeah. So maybe, you know, this is, I guess, a young team, but I think this is a, a young and inexperienced front office in a way. I think, you know, especially with the departure of D Jeter so last minute in the season, it's kind of like, okay, where I'm not saying I'm not, I know this, but I feel like it was like, okay, what what's our next step? What is our next direction? What is our new identity for this team? So, yeah. I, um, yes. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think that, you know, like you mentioned inexperience. Jeter had never done this before, obviously. Yeah. He had a mm -hmm. phenomenal Hall of Fame playing career, and he goes and do, does this. was not really someone. He had Michael Hill for a long time, but then, you know, after the 2020 season, they did not renew him. Mm -hmm. They hired Kim Aang, which, you know, obviously so overqualified, you know, at this point. But she, you know, she wasn't experienced either at the general manager position. So you had right. two inexperienced people at the helm, Bruce Sherman, to report to. He's not a huge, you know, baseball expert either. So it just seemed like a lot of inexperience at the top of the baseball operations department that they could use some help with. I, I thought it th my idea would have been perfect to just have Michael Hill stay as president of baseball ops and still hire Kim Aang as general manager. But they didn't go that route. No, and it didn't go that route. I like where we're, where that transition to into our next segment. We're going to get into the offensive side of things and kind of like the struggles the Marlins have been going through in May. We talked about the inexperience of that front office, you know, signing Jorge Soler after they signed Avisayo Garcia. You know, the biggest, I guess, other than the closer, going to the season, everyone, everyone was saying, where's our center fielder? Where's the center fielder? And Mattingly reassured everyone that he, they were going to go with Jesus Sanchez, which was fine. I'm, And I feel like he's done fine yeah. out there in center field, especially in spacious um, Lone Depot Park. I feel mm -hmm. like he's done a, a, a decent job. You know, there's room for improvement, obviously. It's a new position for him. But they signed Garcia first, and then Jorge Soler came later on. Three-year deal, 30, about, I think $36 million, something like that. Were you, just really quick to get your take on the Soler deal. Was it necessary? I think with because they thought that they were going to get a center fielder, I think they really did believe that they were going to make a trade for that, one mm -hmm. of those center fielders, whether it was Cattell, whether it was Brian Reynolds. They thought that they are going to be able to get one. And when they couldn't, their options sort of ran out. Kyle Schorber, gone. Nick Castellanos, gone. And to the Phillies, no less. So mm -hmm. I think they just sort of, you know what, we need to sign someone. And I think Soler, he wasn't my favorite option either. Obviously, he's performed really well as of late. Right. But I think there's just the power, the Cuban heritage, everything. It, it fit well for this team, but it, it did seem a little redundant to hire to sign him, you know, months after because of lockout. After Abisayel Garcia, you have two corner guys. When you have a whole minor league full of corner guys, a major league roster full of corner guys. They sort of, you know, slept on the center field position a little bit. But season's not over. The trade deadline coming up. We'll see. But right now, they just seem clustered at the outfield spot.
it does seem a bit clustered, especially that Cooper can play the corner outfield as well. And like before the Solaire signing, obviously. Yeah. And then, you know, okay, like you can platoon Cooper with Aguilar and then maybe Cooper in the outfield. But then with Solaire coming in, that kind of changes the, the dynamic a bit with this team. A lot of right-handed bats as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of thump on that side. It'll be nice to have some on the other side, especially with the shorter porch mm-hmm. in Lone Depot Park. But um, starting off the season, though, the not, the guys that we mentioned start this segment, Avisa Garcia and Jorge Soler. They, you know, they started the season off on the wrong, wrong foot. And I'm mm-hmm. sure, obviously, they're just, you know, they don't want to be, play like that, especially with all, you know, the hype and emotion that Garcia came with, you know, this is his home. He wants to stay here. He wants to win here. All the things that he said. And then, bam, you're, both both these guys are hitting below the Mendoza line. A, you know, good month, month and a half into the season. Their bats have been picking up as of late, but it just makes not our point better or we sound smarter that, oh, they shouldn't have done this. But, um, wh- like, what do you think the dimensions in the park or just tra- like transition to a new team affected Garcia? Like, Garcia, I get it wasn't, isn't the five-time all-star big time free agent but he's a big bat i think he's an important piece of this team do you think the, that um, that pressure got to him or is getting to him or is just our new team just feeling it out what do you think is going on there in that mix yeah well i was a little frightened because when they did sign him i was really adamant on the point that he cannot be their number three or four hitter he cannot be you know the right. guy that they depend on for offense and here we are like you know a good thing they did it they did get Soler as well in garcia's case he's been historically a slow starter you know, mm-hmm. and obviously with the short and spring training, he didn't get as many reps as he normally would have. So that combined with the slow start, combined with a new team, new ballpark, coming off a season where he played in a, you know, a sandbox in Milwaukee. True. I'm not totally surprised to, you know, see him get off to a bit of a slow start. But, you know, the exit velocity is still there. The sprint speed is still there. I'm not too, too worried. Soler, I'm not worried at all. I think he'll be fine. This is who he is. He's going to hit yes. 230, 240 with a million home runs and hit the ball. just flies off his bat. But for Garcia... I was a little concerned, especially with the length of that deal, four years, four years guaranteed, mm. fifth year if they want it. Um, but yeah, no, Garcia, I'm not totally shocked that he's off to a slow start, but I think he'll Do be you, fine. On the defensive side of things with Garcia, I, I know going into the season with the big question marks in center field, you know, the, Sanchez was the top name mentioned, but then like there was the names, other names floating, an occasional start here with you know Garcia. Do you think Garcia can play center field? Or I, I, I think in you know. Big Lone Depot Park, like you mentioned, it'd be tough. Yeah, risk, it'd be tough. They can, they've done crazier things, you know. I, I don't think Jesus Sanchez is much more agile than Ivysol Garcia. He's got the speed, he's got the arm to play center field for sure, but I, mm-hmm. I think they would want to stay away from that. I think they would go Blade or Burdick in center field before they, they wow. try Garcia. Okay, Blade, well, that's a name that a lot of, you know, you know, that's, maybe we'll talk about it for another episode. What's going on in the minors with Blade and, and the injury to Max Meyer, unfortunately, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot going on in the minors with the Marlins that are just a lot to look forward to. And Blade is a name that's been bouncing around there for a few years now. And yeah. he's, I, I, he's knocking at the door Encarnacion as well. He's been raking it, you know, last couple of games and he had a promotion recently as well. Uh, he, he was promoted. So, you know, there's a lot to look forward to. And like another Encarnacion corner outfielder, Blade, I thought, you know, he can play center field, but I thought he was used more as a corner outfielder. But I think, yeah, he has the potential to be an everyday center fielder, especially if he keeps hitting like that. Yeah, and that's why I'm very surprised. I, I would be very surprised if they don't make sort of a big trade because, mm-hmm. you know, at first base, DH, you have Cooper and Aguilar, Lewin Diaz, who is all but major league ready, Gerard Encarnacion. You have four guys that really are major league ready for the first base DH spot. You're going to have to move one of them eventually. And the corner outfielders, you just have a million, and you have, you know, in right field, four years left, and in left field, three years left. You know, you're going to. Well, at least Solaire's is an opt out after the yeah, first. Yeah. yeah, 
there is an opt out the way he's playing as of right now. Yes, you think, yes. you think he won't opt out, but who knows? Maybe he goes on a crazy second half run, and you know he uh, he decides to test the free agent market again. But you're gonna think one of these guys is gonna be expendable. So we'll, well let's see. If we're gonna talk about that, if we're gonna put that break down that outfield then with Sanchez, Garcia, and Soler, and if you you know mentioned somebody needs to go or or or, is, or will go, obviously I think Sanchez is off the table because just yeah. youth control is control and just obviously the massive potential that he has. Sanchez, let's just break down Sanchez a bit here. Sanchez got to that amazing start just to this of the season. Yeah. And in April and then May kind of just, you know, he's slumping. He's slumping. Yeah. Is it more of, of just, you know, major league pitchers getting to know him better or just it's just the, the competition is catching up a bit and he's just, and then now he's just trying to find his groove? I think it's a combination of that as well. Just, you know, an approach that is just sort of non-existent with him. It's a lot of guessing mm-hmm. with Jesus Sanchez. I think he's too talented of a hitter to not turn it around and at least be a, you know, a decent offensive player. But you mentioned it. It is the league adjusting to him. They're finding his weak spots, specifically like you know the high and in fastball. He's yes. has a tough time mm-hmm. turning on that. But he's just a good hitter. It is a lot of guessing in his game, guessing off speed or guessing fastball. But you know when he guesses right, he's going to play very well. But more times than not, you're going to guess incorrectly against mm-hmm. big league pitching, and uh, that's a problem I see. I, I wouldn't send him down. I wouldn't consider benching him for an expen- extended period of time. But I, I think he's going to be the center fielder for this point forward but let's just hope miami doesn't have much time to uh to let him figure it out you know so they're, we're gonna see how it goes brian de la cruz has been playing very well you make a good point there in terms of the you know the amount of time miami has i feel like you know, but, you know take away the fans perspective you know obviously patience is a huge virtue yeah. but you know let's be real here from a, a baseball standpoint the marlins are have been rebuilding you know, and and, re- and yes, they made that 2020 uh, postseason run, and that was fun. That was so much fun, and that was exciting, oh, yeah. and that was a great experience, I'm sure, for those young players. But now 2021 came, and they took a huge step back, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, they made the moves, the offseason moves. You know, they're hovering around 500. I still think there's a lot, a lot of baseball left to be played to make any more out, um, decisions or any predictions. But I think what a huge problem that if they don't solve now will affect them you know, in the dog days of summer and down this, you know, on the season, down the line in the season. And that's hitting with runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. I agree with you in the sense that Garcia is not your three, four hitter in, a, in any lineup. And that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I think he's so extremely talented, but the, I think, you know, when considering in this lineup, him and Soler, com, you know, combined with Aguilar and Coop, those are your big guys. Those are the guys that are going to provide that thumb for you and to bring in runs. And they, other than, you know, some moments here and there, I, I feel like it hasn't come together. Two guys are hot and two guys are cold. One guy's on fire and then three guys are not. not. And I feel like it just really hasn't come together for this lineup. Yeah, that was one of the things that, you know, has been keeping me optimist, optimistic because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the whole year they have not really had all at least five or six guys at once being hot. You know, Soler and Avi started off bad. Gar- uh, Brian Anderson didn't start off that hot either. But, you know, Jazz has really been the only person that from start exactly. to right now has been consistent. Brian Anderson first hit last last night or yesterday during the game, first hit all year with runners in scoring position. So he finally, you know, got that off his shoulders. But yeah, you mentioned it. This team with runners in scoring position has really struggled. I'm not sure what you can attribute that to. It's just maybe inconsistent at bats by mainly, you know, the guys who strike out a lot, like Soler, like Garcia. They're gonna have to definitely improve that for sure because no no team makes it to October without capitalizing on with runners on base. And you and I saw it. I think it was Friday night. They had a million chances in the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning. They had runners on second and third, mm-hmm. less than two outs, and they did not score a single run. So. 
So that's not to change, especially against teams like Atlanta, the defending mm-hmm. world champions. You're gonna have to do better. And I want to talk about that Atlanta series real quick. Um, Atlanta's coming; it was going into that series struggling mightily mm-hmm. for their standards, as you know, uh, you know. And the and the Marlins could have they could have taken at least two out of three from this series. They won the finale you know, obviously on, on a sandy day. He pitched his tail off. Yeah. Um. Obviously, when this comes out, people will know that he 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 pitched his tail off, and it was a complete game, and he, and he did amazing. Um. But just another one run loss, and the runners were there. It's not, and it's not, and the Marlins, for example, are working pitchers. It's not like they're, they're these pitchers are dominating left and right. When, they, when the Marlins faced Kyle Wright in the Atlanta series, they worked him for over thirty pitches in that first yep. inning. Mm-hmm. You would think that okay, maybe if they don't score, I get it. They don't score that first inning, okay, but they saw him. They worked him, and then. You would think the adjustments will, will, will be made. They're, and they're drawing walks as well. This is something that I haven't seen a lot either recently. I feel like the Marlins are working at bats better than like last year and the year before. They're not. A, they're striking out. I get everyone strikes out in baseball today. That's the thing now. Right. But I feel like the Marlins have been limiting that more, putting the ball in play more. But then when they get the guys on base, they don't get that big hit. And I feel like that's just lacking. And the, the talent is there on this team. Oh, yeah, 100%. You, you saw it. Like, that was a perfect example. Kyle Wright, one of the better young pitchers in baseball, mm-hmm. they had him at 50 pitches through two innings, and right. he was just not throwing the ball well. And even him, like, you know, Miami seeing him that well, Jesus Sanchez had a great, you know, history against Kyle Wright, and he struck out both times against Kyle. So it's just going to be tough. I, I think he ended up just giving up two runs against mm-hmm. Miami. But, you know, the good teams, when you see that pitcher that many times, you got to score four or five when the starting pitcher doesn't have his stuff and your ace is on the mound, that game had no business being close. But unfortunately with Marlon's lack of offense with runners in scoring mm-hmm. position, it was. The, the only good thing is I want the only, but I guess the things to look forward to is that yes, like you, you mentioned jazz. I didn't even want it. Like it's hard to not mention the name jazz in any show or any topic, but the Marlins, you know, right. but yes, jazz is, is the head of the snake. He is the tip of the spear and he's leading this team. And, but it's just, it's it. Not everyone just needs to follow, and and, and more guys, and like you said, everyone get more, you know, on the same page. Because I'm like, it's it can be very possible that when this team is, and especially this lineup, it's clicking, especially against left-handed pitching with all the right-handed bats in that lineup, yeah. they could be one of the best in the National League. Absolutely. They have the, the talent is there. They put the ball in play a lot. They have a lot of guys who do that, which I do admire, especially in today's day in baseball. There's, they have a lot of guys who are going to put the ball in play and make something happen, you know, but. It, you can it's all fine and dandy and, and you get runners on base but if you don't get bringing them in then it's, what's it good for them you just yeah, that's, work, why, you just work that's the why i was optimistic because also you know you have that good combination of guys like wendell guys like ba guys who don't strike out a ton garrett cooper is not a huge strikeout guy combined with the you know the big boppers and solaire and avi so you'd think that they'd be scoring a little bit more runs they're not horrible offensively i think they're mid-tier in the national league mm-hmm. yeah but you you think they're going to be a little bit better. And, you know, there's a lot of season left. They're only one-fourth of the way there about. So I think there's yeah. a lot of time to improve. Well, so much time to improve. You know, there's, you know, it's just, I feel like, like you said, the short and spring training is a huge factor for some of these players as well, for, especially the players who, who are, who, traditionally do have slow starts like Garcia Soler is, I feel like I feel I see a lot of people on Twitter say Soler is a second half player. Yeah. And I do agree with that. He is like, that's, you know, that's normal. A lot of big, you know, boppers, their, their type of their, their bats heat up in the second half. It's just, you know, the way it is, but you know um, I want to start getting into more, our final segment for this, for this episode and talk about the national league East because they made some moves as well. They, yeah. You know, they they were involved a lot in the offseason. I did talk about that a bit in episode one. I want to get your take on it, especially with the New York Mets. 
they are, you know, if we, I've seen this a lot in the past with the Angels, the San Diego Padres, that they dish out all this money, kind of make this dream team. It's hard to make a dream team in baseball. So it's a big right. roster, but they kind of assembled this suit, a lot of, you know, superstar caliber, you know, a player at every position. Okay. And then it doesn't work out with like the Angels in the past, you know, with Josh Hamilton. And, you know, I'm going back some time now. And then with the Padres. And now, you know, I'm see we're seeing it here with the Mets and they're off to a really good start. You know, I feel like the health is, is a huge factor as well. But what can you give me, like, what, like, you think it's going to last? Do you think the Mets are the clear favorite now at this point? You know, I was not that worried about the National League East because of, you know, how, not how poorly, but they didn't perform that well last season. We were saying the Correct. same things. Yeah. And like you said, always when they do dish, have that dream team out on the baseball field, like the Padres, like you mentioned, it just doesn't work out. So I wasn't too worried about the Mets going in. But dear goodness, they look spectacular. And they look like the team to beat, not only in the NL East, but they could right. be the team to beat in the NL. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was worried, more worried about the Phillies and the Braves, and they're not off to the best of starts. Miami's just half a game behind them both. Mm-hmm. And then all of everybody is eight games back with the Mets. So I think they're the team you got to keep an eye on. And this is without Jacob deGrom that they're doing all of this, you know. And Max Scherzer is hurt now, and he's going to be out for multiple weeks. Six to eight weeks. Just, yeah. Yeah, six to eight weeks. And that's a tough one. So you're, they're without their two best pitchers. Mm-hmm. And they're still dominating. They're 28 and 15. And, you know, that's going to be a tough team. Miami hasn't had to face them yet. Luckily, but you know, I think they're they're coming up in a uh, three weeks. I think they face them in late June, so that's going to be tough. But yeah, I think the division was their opportunity to make the playoffs. Talking about the Marlins, but it, it's going to be tough. It might they might have to try a wild card spot because the Mets are looking good. Well, the Marlins do have a good history with the wild card. We all know that. Yeah. And the only thing that's going to hurt me though when we when when the Marlins uh, play against the Mets when they finally do this season, it's seeing Starling Marte. Yeah, what that was a, that's one of you know when it comes to making a move. For as a as a franchise or making a signing or a trade because Marlins acquired Marte in a trade, yeah, that was in a long long time. I was so happy that they made that move for Marte when they traded him for him. Yeah, you know it's a for, it's unfortunate that like his his tenure with the Marlins wasn't very long. <laughs> it was successful. It was amazing. Like he he's everything you want. It's now you know and then I'm daydreaming now of the top of the order with Jazz and Marte. It's a, an amazing one two punch. You know, it is what it is. It's going to be a heartbreaker to see Marte in a Mets uniform when the Marlins do face him. But, yeah, I'm with you, Isaac. I think the, the Mets, I think they're going to run away with this division. Um, I'm not counting out the Braves because the Braves were off to a pretty uh, cruddy start last, yeah. you know, last year. And, you know, they just were able to get it together at the right, you know, they got hot at the right time. Just like the, the, the Nationals a couple years ago when they won it all. They, were, right. they just, you know, everything clicked at the right time for them and they just they just rode that momentum. Um, but I do think think about the Mets really quick. Sorry to interrupt you. It's just so frustrating about Marte in particular. Mm -hmm. You know, I I like the Luzardo trade. I think it was, you know, for five years of Luzardo for half a season of Marte, that's fine. But I think I would have really liked to retain Marte. And what, you know, what frustrates me anyway, is that for what they offered him in the off season, they could have easily signed him to an extension. I think even for $10 million less, because they offered him a good amount. They were just outbid by the Mets. I think it was 78 million that the Mets ended up giving him. Miami was around there. And they offered him, you know, almost 30% less than that in July when they were trying to extend him. So they, they could have had him, but yeah. they, they chose not to. They wanted to test. They, I guess they let him test the free agent market and they were going to be outbid by other teams. That was just, that was not never in doubt. And it was just, that's the part that, you know, grinds my gear anyway. I get you. And then it, and it answers the question for center field as well. If the Mons were able to retain Marte, mm-hmm. it answers a question, a big question mark for a lot of, you know, fans and for a lot of people in baseball. And, you know, and it's another team captain because of Marte. He was, I'm sure he was admired extremely oh, yeah. well in the clubhouse. He's a leader. He's a veteran. He's, you know, he's been around the game for a long time. He's won multiple awards for different categories, you know, so he, 
you know, it's what you want in a clubhouse leader. He's a five-tool player in the major leagues. He's not a prospect that has five tools potential. He's a five-tool major league baseball player. And that's something that I feel like the Marlins were making, make, really making moves with recently in terms of acquiring, play, acquiring players like that. Or they were draft players with the possibility of being a Starlin Marte. And we, you know, we can say it now. They're not the team anymore. You know, Monte Harrison and Lewis Brin, Brinson, those type of players. I get it. In a perfect world, I can see them becoming a player like Starling Marte because they do have that potential and that type of physique and that type of ability. They just haven't been able to put it together. And but instead of banking or trying to hope that a young you know prospect can end up like this, they went for it. They and, they, and they made a move like that. And for and nothing, they, too. They traded they traded Caleb Smith and Humberto Mejia for him. You know, they exactly. had him for nothing. They had him for nothing. And so, like, you know, okay, yeah, you ate you lost the Yelich deal, but hey, you won that one. Sign him long term. But here we are, and he is doing it for the Mets, no less. So it's uh, yeah. And he just homer he homered his first game back after the passing of his grandmother. Yeah. So it's just like huge it's moment for him. Yeah, it was great. great. So, and then also you mentioned Philadelphia and you mentioned that, you know, going into the season, you, your, your attention, your eyes were more on Philadelphia yeah. and Atlanta. Me personally, I was scared of that lineup for Philadelphia because that lineup is monstrous in my opinion. Yeah. But I feel like maybe, and maybe you know more about it than I do, Philadelphia's pitching. Is, is that something to be, is that concerning or can no. that balance it out? Can that, can that, can that go hand in hand? I mean, yeah, I think it's going to balance it out. You guys saw, you know, Kyle Schorber and Castellanos, they all got up to sort of slow starts, mm-hmm. you know, which I didn't see coming. Kyle Schorber had a great spring, and I thought he was doing fine. But, yeah, right, and now with Bryce Harper injury, they're really going to have to bank, like you said, on the offense and the pitching because their corner outfield defense, it's going to be tough with Nick and Schwarber having to play a lot of outfield more than they thought they were going to have to. Correct, yeah. So that's going to be good. But like you mentioned, the pitching, Zach Wheeler is going to be fine. Her nose is going to be good. You know, Cal Gibson has been like a diamond in the rough for them. He's been pitching great. He pitched great against Miami. Mm-hmm. But I think in the home opening series when they had in, in mid-April. But yeah, I'm not too worried about the Phillies pitching per se for the Marlins anyway, just because, you know, they have Zach Eflin's number. They Aaron Nola has not pitched that amazingly against Miami. I'm just worried about keeping those bats at bay, especially at Citizens Bank Park, yes. where it's just, you know, hitters galore over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm more definitely more scared about their lineup than the uh, than the rotation. The bullpen has not been that bad either. You know, their historically or recent history, they've had a horrible bullpen. Extremely, this yeah. year, they really did, and they patched it together. Unlike Miami, they got Corey Knable, they got Jose Alvarado back, they got Jerry's Familia, Brad Hands. Miami didn't right. get any of those guys, but yeah, their no, bullpen it, is much improved. Their bullpen, their bullpen has definitely improved, and yes, the lineup. The Marlins were in the bidding with for Castellanos as well. Obviously, you know, let's be real here. I knew, or not no, but like it's chances of the Marlins were able to sign Castellanos. I think it was very slim compared to other teams. Maybe I'm wrong. I just feel like in the he, history of the Marlins, yeah, he uh, he wanted to be here very bad. Really? Okay. I, I, I had That's a, good. I'm, I'm had a great source that told me at Lone Depot. He wanted nothing more than to be than to bring my baseball back to South Florida like this. Wow, he wanted wow. to be a part of it. And, and it was just more of a fine of the money of a contract contract issue then. I, or? I, I wasn't allowed to get further more information, but I he wanted to be here. He no, wanted. To, I wish I wish I knew what I I asked specifically. I was like, were there figures exchanged? Right. And she was like, I I can't go further. Of course, of course, no, and that's fine. No, this is news to me as well because we obviously this is all very. Serious, you know, very, you know, low level, like, like people keep it on the hush hush, especially this type of, like, the much, especially the dollar bills until it's finally guaranteed yeah. on paper. From but also, you know, what I've heard contradicting it, that it was never going to be an option. So I assume because of money, why else? 
but yeah, as you know, as much as Miami would have liked to have him, as much as he would have liked to be here, I don't think it was ever realistically in the cards. Wow, you know, that, this is first news to me, and I'm glad that you can bring this on the show. So thank you, thank you for that. You know, that's awesome. You know, especially with like Castianos and especially with the ties that he has down here as well, would have been great. Would have been great. But who knows? The you know anything can happen, especially in baseball, like the, the trade deadline. People, you know, wanting to leave. Like it's, it's sports today. It, it, there's so much movement, player movement in, in sports today. Is that you know, I'm not worried that, especially now with the Marlins aggression, they've been turning the ball, like moving the ball more with that, yeah. making more moves, being more aggressive. Now it's just putting in the right places and putting the money right. in the right places. But mm-hmm. it's like it's just a learning experience, unfortunately, I guess, with that too. But um, just I guess very very early predictions. I 40 games in, Marlins are fourth in the division. But they're right there. They're in the thick of things right now. Expanded yeah. playoffs. Do you think the Marlins have a chance this year? You know, cracking, you know, the, uh, the, the expanded playoffs and making a name for themselves. So from last year, this date on, like for the, you know, from May 23rd to like mid-June, late June, that's where they sort of, the wheels sort of fell off and they fell to 10, 15 games under 500. Okay. It's going to be a really tough, you know, part of the schedule. Like I mentioned earlier, the tough teams, tough ballparks to play in for this team. Mm-hmm. So I think if they just remain around 500 for the next couple of weeks, even a couple of games below, if they stay with their overall record five or games or less below 500, then they're in it. I think then they're going to not be sellers at the deadline, maybe a sort of trade like the Marte one, something like that. Hopefully. Or even like a Jazz, like for Gallon type trade, but obviously not so far deep in the minor leagues like it was mm-hmm. in Jazz's case when they acquired him. But I think... That's the next few weeks should be very vital for this ball club because then they have a pretty easy part of the schedule. I think they see Washington again. They have the Pirates. They have the Reds. So I think they can if they can really you know capitalize on those games and win and just stay afloat the next few stay weeks. Afloat. I would see them. I don't think they're making the playoffs this year. Okay, I would no, see yeah. them, but I think they can finish third in the division and finish four or five games out of a wild card spot if everything goes right. If things go great, then hey, maybe we're talking late September games where. Miami could make the playoffs, but I don't think it's totally out of the question, but a lot of things would have to go right. Everyone would have to stay healthy. They would maybe need to bring in someone to finish the ninth inning, but hey, I've seen crazier things happen. Yeah, and I feel like if the Mons, like you said, in the next month, month and a half, can just stay afloat, hang around, then when they get into the deeper part of the season, the Mons have an advantage, especially with their young pitching. They're fresher. They're they're talented. That's a not like that's a fact. They have the talent there to compete with anybody in the division, anybody Absolutely. in baseball. They have the starting pitching, and I feel like they can use that to their advantage when the Marlins start reaching you know late June and July mm-hmm. and stuff. That and then they're gonna be learning as well because a lot of these guys. And this is why I don't I wouldn't have mind and I wouldn't like I'll be bummed out of course, but I wouldn't mind if the Marlins did not make the playoffs because for me I would like to see Sandy, Pablo, Treasure, Trevor, excuse me. All, all of these guys, all of these guys finish the season, complete a, a full season. That's what I've been telling people. It's like, what do you expect the Marlins? I, I say, you know, they can go 500, legit. Like, they can go 500. I'm a happy camper. And we see the development of these great pitchers and, and jazz. And then, you know, just things start coming together. These veteran pieces, finding, the, you know, finding their groove here in South Florida. And just like little by little, I, and they can stay 500, 500, then I'm a happy camper. Can I see them, you know, make a push? Maybe, but like, like you said, everything has to fall into place, especially the right. health. Yeah, I think it is It is just frustrating because, you know, no team, no fan base, no team, no executive should be satisfied with 500. Of course not. Unfortunately, you're right. Every single year, this team, they say they're going to be satisfied with 500. I think this is the year that it had to have changed. It doesn't seem like they're really putting all their eggs in the 2022 basket 
which mm-hmm. is you know infuriating for the people that cover the team for the people that care about the team but uh that's why i said if, if they're just like you said if they stay afloat maybe they make some some extra moves but you're right to see pablo finish the year they have an interesting decision to make on him by the way because he's just pitching out of his mind mm-hmm. injury history expiring contract they have a decision to make on him trevor i want to see him get right his ship luzardo i can't wait till he gets back because he was off to a pretty darn good start a lot of strikeouts, yeah. A lot of he was looking dominant. Left-handed batters had no chance against him. He had mm-hmm. that one clunker in Arizona, but you know that's when the forearm strain happened. I assume so. Just to see all these guys, and maybe we'll see Edward Cabrera up soon. There is an opening on Wednesday night, apparently, but I don't think it'll be him. And there's just a lot of pitching that could take the team really far if they really, you know, supplemented the offense better. And I just want to give a quick shout out as well to Cody Poteet. I feel like yeah, he's a Cody name Poteet. that is a, that, you know like that can be used. You know, we saw him spot start the other day. Uh, for Lusardo, it can be it can happen down the line again. It can you know whenever in the season it's it's in the Marlins or in Don Mattingly's back pocket. Absolutely, that he's there. It gives somebody a breather, it gives somebody an extra day of rest. That you have Poteet there. I feel like you know that's a luxury that maybe the Marlins never, haven't really had in the last couple of years, and kind of having that you know that tweener of like long relief, you know, spot start type of uh, pitcher. Yeah. Um, not only in the pitching side, but on the offense too. You know, you have, like you said, Poteet, he's given up one earned run this year, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. one earned run and or two earned runs. I'm sorry, 23 innings pitch. Last year it was guys like or a couple years ago it was Hector Noesi, and they had these you know really bad guys cleaning up games. Instead, it's Cody Poteet, and this year it's on Devin Marrero and Isan Diaz coming off the bench. It's you know you have Joey Wendell coming off the bench or Brian Anderson coming off the bench and Miguel Rojas, whoever wasn't starting. So I think the depth of this team is unequivocally better for sure. So that's going to be huge. Yeah, from a talent's pers- perspective, in the Don Mattingly era, I guess this is probably one of the top teams for talent-wise. Sure. Since the rebuild, anyway, obviously. Of course, of course. Right. The, the, the big outfield and Jose and then that, you know, and the other arms that they had in the rotation. Yes, yeah, since that big, massive rebuild, obviously this is the most talented team that Mattingly's ever had. And I'm excited to see what the, how the, the rest of the season goes for them because I'm not counting them out, like, completely. Like, I'm still, I, I still think they're going to play around to where they're at right now, which, you know, it's, a, it's an unfortunate statement, but I guess for Marlins fans, it's going to have to do that right now. If they can say like this, it is an improvement. All right. For, okay, like, fans plus, 17, that. plus 17 run differential. So that should yeah. share some, you know, that means they're probably their record should be a tiny bit better. Tiny bit. Yeah. Like a game, maybe a game or two. And, right, and that's right. it. I want to, before we start, we wrap things off here uh, on this episode of first pitch 305. I just want to talk to you about, you know, like we mentioned like the games, upcoming games, Tampa, Atlanta, Colorado. But let's dive into what me stood out for me was Colorado. This is the first time the Marlins are going this season to Colorado. Um, not the first time some of these pitchers have pitched there. I, I'm, they have ex- some of them have experience there already, but it is a huge game changer playing in Colorado. It is hitter's paradise, and pretty much the ball flies out of there. It, it just it's easy to hit. It seems like it seems like every, no matter what team you are, you can dominate there in any given in any given night offensively. Um, I'm ex- I mean, looking for. I'm excited to see how the Marlins and their pitching uh, do in Colorado because, you know, I don't, no matter how the Colorado Rockies are playing, when they're in Colorado, they'll be fine. Yeah, you know, I, if my memory serves me correct, I think that's that was Sandy's really bad clunker last season. He did mm, pitch yeah, Colorado. I think, yeah. and gave up was ten earned runs. He had a really bad one. I think it might have been eight. He uh, he struggled in Colorado. I think Miami lost two out of three. In that series, Miami historically has just pitched, has just played really, really poorly. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. That's going to be a big series against a Colorado team that's not as bad as you know we all thought. They're playing in the toughest division in Major League Baseball, and I think yeah, they're two games under 500 against you know the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants, all of whom are over 500 and like by a lot. Teams. So they're they're a good team. You know they had a, a strange offseason. 
Yeah. Uh, they're, a, they're a good team. So that's going to be really tough. Hopefully Miami will have at least split Tampa. Maybe wishful thinking win two out of three in Atlanta and go into Colorado with some leg room to, you know, just sort of have space just in case you get swept because it's going to be tough out there. I know it was Sandy who got really destroyed in, in Denver. Yeah, no. Um, so it's, it's, it's a good point. I totally forgot about um, that clunker that Sandy had last year in Colorado. So yeah, that's, that's something to look forward to see how he adjusts from last year, wow. the improvement, you know, the, the preparation that, you know, he, you know, for all these players, for all these pitchers, you know, especially playing, especially playing in Atlanta, you know, that's a, that's yeah. a field that you got to get used to. It's a division rival that's, you know, that you got to get used to playing there. So, um, and, and the final thing is, yeah, the depth from this team that you mentioned before off the bench we had, in years past, we had these random travel, play, travel players, you know, like these journeymen and, and guys who are borderline triple A MLB players. And now there is something that Don Mattingly can use as a weapon. If you look at all these playoff teams, the last final eight teams or the last final four teams in the playoffs, their bench is stacked and, 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 and they have each one has a purpose. Each one has, a, 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 I guess, something that they, they can provide instantly. No matter if there's their speed, their defense, their bat, their pinch hitting abilities, like anything. And Madeline has something to play with now. He, get, yep. he, has, something, he has something to move around. Before it was like, nine, the first, the, these are the best eight I have in the moment, and I have to ride with it. And now I can give day, guys days off. So just to round things off here on the show, just talk to me about like the depth of this team and how much it can be an advantage down, down like for the season for the Marlins. I mean, just a couple of nights ago, whether it was yesterday, Garrett Cooper came off the bench, you know, and mm -hmm. even before they had Brian Anderson coming off the bench. And it's just so important. You think about like the best pinch hitters, you know, you have guys like Terrence Gore, who's like just a pinch base runner for a good Kansas City Royals team. You had Matt Stairs, Greg Dobbs for good Philadelphia Phillies teams. Every good elite team, you know, World Series team, they have a great bench. You know, they have someone obviously with the DH, it's less impactful now because right. you, know, you don't have someone coming in for your ninth batter in the sixth, seventh inning. But it's going to be really important that, you know, they have these guys coming off the bench, whether it's a, you know, if there's a lefty on the mound, you can plug in Miguel Rojas for a Joey Wendell who does struggle against lefties. So I think the depth of this team is great. Joe Dunan came up and, you know, has been playing well. Yeah. A lot of guys. Charles LeBlanc is in AAA playing really well. Burdick, is he hurt? Burdick oh. has been okay. okay. Yeah, Burdick's the outfield. You know, he can be a fourth. I don't think they would bring him up just to come off right. the bench. Of course not. There's I would just, not either. No. Right. No, there's just a lot of guys, infield depth, outfield depth all over the place that this team can play with. And if Kim, you know, manages the players right, it's a really good – it's a decent organization. It's a good foundation for a team. I will I will finish off with that. Yes, that even the, even the departure of Jeter, it was kind of, eh, kind of sour or whatever. But, yes, when, I, when people ask me, the, like, what his impact was with this team, I will say that it was – positive he did help this this franchise in terms of giving them a foundation because yeah. let's be real here before he got to miami it was a terrible farm system no direction like no identity like there's just a lot of question marks and jeter did establish something here and now the Mons do have something to look forward to in the minor league system now at the major league level with jazz and other pieces as well so this season i'm not Throwing it away. We're only 40 games in. I'm excited. This I haven't been excited for this Marlins season in a couple of years. You know, this has been is especially with the, with the off season and everything. So, I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the off season. Isaac, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Any final statements? Any final thoughts on the Marlins before we wrap things up? No, I just you mentioned it, the the Jazz one. That was a a Jeter special. That was a hand selected player that Derek Jeter chose, and mm -hmm. he told Michael he wanted to trade for him. Obviously, it hurt giving up Zach Gallon. But that was a great one. And no, thank you so much for having me on. It, it's been a blast. I love to talk about this stuff. So yeah. thank you for having me on again, man. Well, we'll have you on again for sure. And thank you for listening to First Pitch 305. You can follow 
Isaac at Fist Stripes. You can follow his content, not just him. Uh, there's a huge team of amazing, amazing contributors who cover the Marlins, uh, with all, and they cover the Marlins minor league system as well. It's just Marlins, 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 as much as you want. Follow Fist Drives. They have amazing, amazing content. Isaac, thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening to First Pitch 305.